You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by the Breeders' Cup. Good morning, welcome to the show. It's Friday the 23rd of September. I come to you from the Roly Mile Racecourse at Newmarket. There's a, a fairly thick mizzle enveloping the, the heath, as, as I, I talked to you early in the morning, but it's set to clear later and it'll be a, a pleasantly warm autumn afternoon, I'm hoping. Today is the Rockfell Stakes, more of which in a few moments' time from connections of one of the leading contenders for that race. Rishi Passad joins me today. We are going to talk and eat, so he's a happy chap. We're also going to reflect, as, as we do so, on the very impressive performance yesterday in the feature race, the Tattersall Stakes, from Nostrum, trained by Sir Michael Stout and ridden by Ryan Moore. It's it's almost as though I'd written the roster for this podcast knowing that Nostrum would win yesterday, but I didn't. Amazing. Sometimes the script worked out perfectly, Lucky. And uh, can I just say, um, I really enjoyed your interview with Sir Michael yesterday because it highlighted, obviously, all all the quirks of interviewing the great man, but in particular, the little gems uh, in what he said uh, about how highly he rated the horse, how highly he rates Ryan Moore, but there's always the little caveat as he occasionally gives one or two a bad ride at the end of the interview. Uh, and he laughed. booming with laughter and walking off. And walking off, a perfect way to end it. But the main focus of attention yesterday was the way Nostrum dispatched Holloway Boy in Victory Dance. Some people thought Victory Dance didn't run that well. I thought he ran okay. I didn't think he ran that badly. And I thought Nostrum uh, dispatched those two horses with with a style that suggested he's got plenty more to come, which is what Sir Michael Stout said in his interview with you yesterday. So with that in mind, do you think he's a horse that can win a Group 1 before the end of his two-year-old season? It's, it's unstout-esque to wheel a horse back quickly, but he said he was inclined to run him a third time. The obvious option is the Dewhurst. That's only in a couple of weeks' time. He could then wait for... Or he could wait for the Verton Futurity at Doncaster. The Dewhurst is the obvious race for him, though, isn't the it? The Dewhurst is the obvious race, but... Putting two and two together, making possibly four and a half, uh, putting t- together Sir Michael Stout's intention to want to run the horse again, but also his MO of not racing them too quickly after uh, only his second career start, suggests that the Verton Futurity might be more of an option than the Dewhurst. I guess that would be dependent on the ground. Just looking at I don't think you'd want to see Sir Michael Stout re- uh, unleashing a, a two-year-old with classic pretensions in the early part of next season and pulling him around on on testing ground at Doncaster. So if the ground remained decent, I thought the Verton Futurity would be the favoured option. That's just reading between the lines. I have no idea. Um, the Dewhurst has traditionally been the stepping stone from this race, on uh, from the Tattersall Stakes onto that. But I just think the timing for a horse that obviously was supposed to run at Doncaster didn't. I think the timing just suggests to me the Verton Futurity would be the, the better option. For you... Is he the likeliest winner of next season's 2,000 guineas <laughs> at this stage? Uh, it's a good question. I mean, obviously, it's a great question because that's, that's going to bother my mind for the next six to eight months or however long it is. I can't. You I presumably know. backed him already, have you? I have. I have. I, I did confess that, I think, on this podcast uh, earlier in the, in the year. Um, I, I think he's the most uh, viable contender for the guineas at the moment. I, Little Big Bear, obviously, has been really impressive. I mean, outstandingly impressive, but I don't like the fact that he's not going to be seen again. Clearly, uh, an Aidan O'Brien two-year-old missing the latter part of the season is not something that they 
ideally want. So I, I'd have to, I'd have to keep him on the back burner for the moment. And then outside of that, there's nothing that strikes me. As, I mean, I looked at the market yesterday. August Rodan was, I think, second favourite, um, and not a horse that I was particularly excited about over a mile. I think Nostrum is of the leading contenders for the Guineas at this stage, the most exciting prospect. Okay, we are going to eat and talk, as I was saying. Also an exciting prospect. Um, I'll let I'll let you say Grace Dominum Nostrum. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you don't lose too many followers for that. Amen. Right. Your, your, your first course provided by Wine Tips and Neil Phillips and uh, executive chef at the Jockey Club, uh, Damien Adams. Damien, what's, he, what's Rishi eating to, to kick us off in the middle of the morning? So here we have um, just one of our starters here in Champions Gallery today is the wasabi-cured mm. salmon. Um, and to, to go with that, we have a pea puree, which is Thai-infused. We have some green chilli in there, some lemongrass... Um, some kaffir lime leaf, um, uh, yeah, and then, and then we have some um, soybeans to go with it, some mm. soy jelly, and some compressed cucumber. Always good to have some compressed cucumber on the show. Uh, Neil Phillips, what are we washing this down with? Well, I thought we'd have some, just with that wasabi there, I thought we'd go to South Africa and have a lovely Chenin Blanc from South Africa, and very fresh, nice aromas, good freshness can stand up to a little bit of spiciness in this dish as well, be lovely. Rish is going to go in, I can I'm, tell. I'm going in. He's going in. The combination of... He's going in. So he's going in. Everything's on this, on this uh, fork now. So I'm going okay. to go in with a combination of flavours. Here we go. Well, while Rishi is, is eating his smoked salmon, I'm going to pick up on a story that broke last night from Chelmsford City Racecourse, not too far away from here, at Newmarket's Rody Mile, where to the constellation of an awful lot of you, there was no general admission. Uh, this was a, a fixture that had been hastily convened just six days ago. Many of you worrying whether this was the thin end of the wedge. Do racecourses only need to run their racing for media rights? Does it matter whether you're there as spectators or not? Well, the commercial director from Chelmsford City, Nathan Holmes, has been in touch and he's been explaining why yesterday there was no general admission at a British racecourse. Uh, yes, yeah, so it's quite, uh, I think one of the key things to get to point to most people is that it was a last minute fixture. Uh, the BHA presented an opportunity for several race courses to um, stage an additional fixture uh, in order to support horses of a certain level who were struggling to get runs elsewhere. Um, as usual, most people who are aware of our kind of key principles is that we do try and support trainers and owners and the industry as a whole so for us it was a no-brainer to try and contribute something towards that um, and we we're fortunate enough to um, be awarded on these fixtures uh, the challenge of course was that we had six days to sell this uh, race meeting and uh, one bigger challenge of that was that our primary general admission spot had already been um, hired out to a member of the public services branch for private events like most sporting venues and whether it's uh, football stadiums or other race courses we do use our large facilities um, in order to find other revenue opportunities whether it means hiring out spaces dining opportunities um, conferencing all sorts of things like that and that main facility was already in use and would be in use till I think about five o'clock or half past five so we found ourselves in a situation where we couldn't use the city which also offered um, drinks um, our main food outlet and also our main indoor toilet block so we really were presented with a situation that for the people who would have attended under normal circumstances we've been given a very well rather miserable experience on uh, the day um, and so what we decided to do was we have our members restaurants upstairs which again we take pride in the fact that it is 
very affordable. Uh, we probably always tend to start from about £60 and work their way up. Uh, we did a four-course set menu for £49, uh, which was um, really well put together, high-quality meal, um, cheese board, um, and we offered that to the public who felt they really wanted to get their fix of racing on that night. And we thought it was a good offering, and the feedback we received is that it was well received. And uh, so that was sort of kind of the logic behind why we took that approach. And I think the other key thing to bear in mind is that we do have race on Saturday. And we would, anyone who really wanted to come racing this week at Chelmsford, we would, of course, steer them towards the race meeting, which has eight races instead of six. The one which has music after, entertainment after, um, and the whole facility open. So that was the logic behind the decision um, in terms of the customer aspects. There was, of course, um, of uh, financial responsibility that goes with it. So, you know, staging and race meeting is very expensive business, as we all know, um, and hospitality and bars, stewarding, security, all these other additional costs come into play as well. So for us, we felt that we were able to offer a really good value experience to our customers and ultimately um, still kind of yeah. serve the interests of what a classic race day is about. Well, you, so you, you could offer a, a higher end experience, no doubt. Was there, was there not another area where you could open up for general admission for people who just wanted to pay a very small admission fee, didn't want any bells and whistles, didn't want any high end fine dining, just wanted to come and see horses race, which is, which is what you're there for? Well, we had we do have marquees on site, um, but the marquees uh, weren't really equipped for that day in particular because we had them being used for hospitality on the Saturday. Mm. So they've already been prepared for that event, um, and uh, we, you know, having to kind of pull all these marquees apart and remove all the tables and linen and other things that go alongside that um, to stage that and of course there's a massive level of uncertainty when you do these last minute fixtures you might be fortunate enough to have you know 200 people make a last minute decision they want to attend mm. or you might find that 12 people trickle through the door and it's a great expense I think I think the, the key Nathan isn't it is, is the key question people are asking is is this is this the thin end of the wedge is this something now that you've realised you can do so you will repeat to the exclusion of, of the general public. I want to make very, very clear that Chelmsford City Racecourse will never stage behind the closed race meeting unless there are circumstances, whether it's COVID or whether it's um, some other kind of disaster that forces us into doing it and we're mandated um, by the governing body, BHA, to do that. Mm. We have absolutely no intention of making this a regular occurrence. Now, should we pick up additional fixtures, which you know, there's a strong likelihood we will do in the future, we do race an awful lot, uh, like most all the race courses, and have a strong team in-house to facilitate those additional meetings. Should you know a facility be unable to facilitate a emission in the future, we will have to look at it again, case by case. Um, but I think one thing we probably have learned from the experience is that we probably do need to find a way to be more open about it. I think we we try to highlight it the best on our website. We try to highlight it um, in our email campaigns to our regular customers. Um, and we I think we also try to highlight it um, to people who are ringing in about the fixture. So I think we did make a real effort to highlight that was the case. But clearly, there needs to be a little bit more done. Um, and But yeah... Coming back to your original point, um, this race course has no intention of trying to ease its way into behind closed source race meetings. We are very popular with the public. We have, you know, we do on regular kind of race meetings, 400 covers in hospitality and lots of admission for kind of our, you know, winter meetings. So uh, we love having the public here. Uh, that's what the spirit of racing is about and very much uh, the spirit of what this track was founded on. And we've got no intention of 
this trying to be a way to slowly get towards that style of racing. Yeah, that, that's very encouraging. I suppose, just finally, if, if a situation like this occurs again and you are you do get a meeting bounced on you within within six days or you apply for a meeting with with six days notice and you've got a, a pre-existing function there like you had yesterday um will you actively seek to open up space for people who just want to pay the admission price and don't want any any frills just so they can come of course yes um yeah. like i say this was this was a circumstance where we were unable to do that and since those people you know we still offered uh you know we tried to offer still a very good experience to those trainers or attendants and we do want as many people coming racing as as we can uh, we all are we all aware of what's going on in sports and mainly horse racing at the moment in terms of attendances and we've got no we've got no benefit by trying to discourage people from coming racing Nathan Holmes there from Chelmsford City Racecourse, the commercial director, with a, a lengthy explanation. I sort of, the gist of that, Rishi, is they don't want it to happen, but you fancy in, in, in extreme circumstances where they've already got areas of the racecourse booked out and then they dive in for a last-minute fixture, you know, unless they, t- they have a major policy change from last night, it's not impossible it could happen again, even, even if their intention is to make sure that they look after the racing public. I know we're often accused of being cynical, in the way the sport is conducted uh, in recent times. But yesterday highlighted the fact that what for a lot of us have said for a long time, do racecourses need to have anyone on there? Because ultimately, before a human being, a paying customer comes through the gate, they're going to make money by having races run. Um, so there, therein lies one of the issues that people are fearful of. But you'd surely as a racecourse have to, have to make sure that you're you're prioritising your, your, your public as well. Absolutely, and prioritising the public is the long-term view for the health of the sport. Obviously, the short-term view is if you want to cut costs, cut overheads, then why have anybody on the race course and just run races and take the media rights money and everything will tick along for a certain period of time. But ultimately... Uh, the media rights comes through people being interested in the sport of horse racing, wanting to watch it and wanting to bet on it. And if you don't have people coming through the turnstiles, being interested in the sport, uh, thinking about the future of the sport and the, the fan base of the sport, then what will the sport ultimately be other than betting shot fodder, as we've often called it? Interesting shot across the bows, this, though, isn't it? Because Chelmsford went no general admission last night. They've given very cogent reasons why, and they said they're still committed to, to getting people on the track, and Nathan's been explicit there. But it, it makes me think, what are other racecourse groups who might have considered this now thinking, given the reaction to it? Well, that's exactly the issue that a lot of us will have in the back of our minds, that this is another, uh, another example of how racing can potentially proceed in terms of the financial structure and a template for the future. The worry is what happened last night may happen again and it has no significant impact on the race course. And that's that's been one of the issues obviously with we'll talk about it no doubt later on in the show and the, the, the way the race courses are, are governed and the way the sport is governed. Um, but if race courses can be able to make those decisions unilaterally, then is that best for the long term health of the sport? Your second course has arrived. You'll be, you'll be pleased to know. Damien, what's, what's Rishi going to tuck into here? Okay, so here we have um, our homemade sticky toffee pudding. Um, we have a um, sticky toffee panna cotta, um, a sticky toffee sauce, a sugar hazelnut twill, um, some fudge and some, some chocolate on there. And yeah, it's, uh, it's very, very nice, very Moorish. Oh, my goodness. The, 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 the scent, the aroma is intoxicating. I cannot wait to get this in my mouth. Go on, Rishi, go in. I'm going go in. in.
Uh, Rishi tucks into that. Neil, what's this going down with? Well, this is obviously a very sweet dessert here, so I wanted to find a lovely sweet dessert wine from Australia here. And McLaren Vale, Darenberg, Riesling, noble wrinkled Riesling, a deep honeyed colour here. Colour here. You're going to go back in, and when you have a taste of this, because it's enjoy it, because it's a fantastic dessert. How many of these have you made today? How many have we made today? Yeah. Um, this is this is predicted as being probably the most popular dessert of the day. No doubt. Um, there's, there's, there's about 100 portions um, just in this restaurant alone. 98 now. <laughs> <laughs> oh. well, Very well done. As Rishi takes down yet another helping of panna cotta and sticky toffee pudding, um, I'll reflect on another piece of news that uh, came to us yesterday from our friends at Tattersall's, and that was that the Group 1 winning mayor, La Petite Coco, would be added to the list of star mayors that are going through the ring or going under the hammer at the Scepter session, the newly named Scepter session of the Tattersall's breeding stock sale here in Newmarket in December. La Petite Coco is owned by Team Valor, the American-based global syndication outfit that's run by Barry Irwin. Last night I spoke to Barry and I began by asking him why the decision had been made to sell this star performer. Okay, so... This is our 35th year of uh, buying horses for syndication and racing them in the partnership format. And until the last few years, basically what we did is try to provide a vehicle for involvement, fun, entertainment. And in the last couple of years, um, I decided I wanted to become more commercial. And I've told our guys and gals that everything we buy, we will race it to a certain point. And when we think we've achieved enough, or gotten close and there's still some racing life left we're going to offer them for sale um as an example um in a couple of days on um saturday here in the united states there's a million dollar race for fillies called the cotillion mm-hmm. we have a three-year-old filly in there named green up and she's raced four times this year she's won all four of her races and going into this race, she's one of the highest rated fillies in the country now based on speed ratings. And if she runs big in there, we're going to sell her at the Fazic Tipton sale. So with La Petite Coco, our plan all along had been to watch her form, see how she does. And if she came up to the December sales in good order, we were going to offer her. Um, we prob- we'd like to run her in the British Champions. If the ground comes up soft, or at least has some cut in the ground, we'll run there. But if it comes up like it did at York, or it was firm, or on the firm side of good, we just won't run her again. Um, That's the last race we think fits her. Um, When she ran at York, Patty um, decided to run her there, knowing that the ground was not in her favor, but she was training so great, he just didn't want to pass up the opportunity. And, and that race took a lot out of her. She finished uh, off the board for the first time for us and half a dozen starts when she tried to win the Blanford for a second year in a row. And that race must have been a tough race because the filly that was second uh, and the York, the Yorkshire Oaks Tuesday came back and wasn't even in the top three when she ran back at, at Longchamp. Yeah, you might find that in Alpinista you were all trying to, to, to defeat the impossible. But we know that La Petite Coco's very talented. You've had a lovely run with her as well. Barry, you, you've never been frightened to express your views on, on trainers all around the world. You've, you've dipped your toe in so many different waters. Everyone in Europe's been impressed with Paddy Toomey. Um, what do you like about him? 
Well, I think he's a very talented guy. He's very careful. Um, he's got a very high winning percentage because he wants to have a high winning percentage. He picks his spots. He waits until he knows that they're ready and he finds a spot. He thinks that they're going to win. And, and he's extremely good at what he does. Um, we've given him just a handful of horses and basically he's exceeded our expectations with each one of them. He's, he strikes me as a guy that even though he will act like he's a farmer or something, um, he's, he's an, he's an intellectual when it comes to the turf. He's a very deep thinker, a very smart guy. I would uh, I would concur. If you make good money out of La Petite Coco, is this money for money's sake, or is this money because you want to increase your your ability to reinvest and have even more fun and get bigger and bigger and bigger? I, I think it's both. Um, there's look, <laughs> I'm an American. There's nothing wrong with trying to do something for money. It's, it's part of the national psyche. You know, I don't have to apologize for for making money, but uh, the more money our clients make, the more likely they're going to reinvest and the more likely other people that read about it and see it are going to want to get involved. We, we've spoken through all sorts of iterations of the way you operate. Are you getting a kick out of it at the moment, the way you've got your assets divided? Yes. Yeah, we, we are having fun. We're, we're having good turnover. Um, we're, we're racing in, you know, different countries. Um, we've, we've got a new wrinkle, which I've never been able to do until this year. I like to buy geldings because I think they offer tremendous value. Um, and my people just for years, every gelding I bought, I got stuck with at least 25 or 30% of it. I didn't ever buy a single gelding that didn't turn a profit. I mean, we've done extremely well. This year we bought a gelding that won his first start and I syndicated him and it was not cheap. A horse called Factor Cheval. He won his first four races. Um, and I miraculously was able to syndicate him even though he's a gelding well since then we bought two or three others and our people are starting to embrace them which gives me a, a larger canvas to play the game on excellent and in terms of division of horses between the u.s and, and europe how are you thinking going into 2023 well it's a touchy subject <laughs> um uh, <laughs> it's, you're never you're, you know you're ne you know you're never going to square this this circle i don't think you you'll never you'll never reach you'll never reach your perfect kind of in, inner equilibrium on this one you're right um but we're gonna uh emphasize europe more than the united states however we're starting to bring some horses here we're we have plans to bring five here right now um, they're actually undergoing tests in Europe to come here. But the real problem is this. The, the reason I left the United States is because of the cheating with mm -hmm. drugs, with PEDs. And even though I feel very confident that the new group, HISA, is going to, I don't know if they'll eradicate it, but they will definitely create a deterrent. And I think it's going to take place because they've hired an investigative outfit called Five Stones. Unfortunately, they're not going to be up and running until 2023. And by the time they get to a place like California, which is my birthplace, it's probably not going to have an impact there till 2024. So I've got to be careful and pick my spots. 
I think, you know, by the time I'm ready to retire, everything will be in great shape. I hope I can take advantage of it before that happens. All right. And in terms of the cotillion, I spoke to Wayne Lucas yesterday about Secret Oath. He seemed to think that the distance would fit her just beautifully. She'll be a tough nut for you to crack with with your Philly green up. But do you like your chances? Yeah, um, our filly has not been tested for class except for one race, her last start. And in that race, she won very, very easily, uh, running like the second fastest speed figure uh, in the United States for a three-year-old filly this year. Well, the third fastest other than Nest and Lucas's filly on the day of the Oaks. But I think our filly has a, a lot of potential. My only fear with her is she's coming back in a month off of a superior effort. I don't know how she's going to react to that. And I think Lucas has done a great job with his filly, but she may have had one dance too many herself. Barry Irwin there, always entertaining from Team Valor about the sale of La Petite Coco at Tassel's Scepter Session uh, this December. Rishi's just about finished his second helping of um, of the sticky toffee pudding with the, with the panna cotta. You've left that bit of burnt sugar on your plate. Uh, just for now, because I need to, to make sure that... I've got a bit stuck in my teeth. <laughs> my mouth is clear so I can continue speaking with some uh, coherence. Mm. Mm. Right, this afternoon's Rockfell Steaks, oh, Rishi. Yes. Do you have a fancy? I quite like uh, Lietzel. Um, I, th- I think she's looked very good to- so far in two starts. I know last time out she, she only won narrowly uh, up at Haydock, but I felt she was in command all the way, and then when the, the second horse came to challenge, she pulled out a little bit more. Uh, it's a very open race, a really good race. There's some strong depth to it. I like commissioning, obviously. She's only had the one run. She's got a lovely pedigree, and she won really nicely. And I think the horse that she beat in second, Propense, might be quite useful in time. So she's obviously a contender, but she only had the one run. I think at the prices, I'd, I'd prefer to take an each-way shot with Lietzel. I'm still trying to get that. <laughs> Do you want me to say something else about yeah, this? Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, Olivia Meralda, worth bearing her in mind. Um, she looks to be progressing. Really good run in Ireland last time out. I'm sure she'll, she'll have a part to play, but uh, I'm going to stick with Lietzel. I just hope she's ridden prominently because obviously she won over a mile last time out, and she's back down to seven today. Um, but I hope that if she's ridden prominently when she comes out of the dip, she might just have a little bit too much stamina coming up there for the rest. One of her rivals is Eximius, trained by Roger Varian. What form he's in at the moment. Seven winners last Saturday, winner of St. Ledger two Saturdays ago. Eximius is owned by High Clear Thoroughbred Racing, who've just passed the million-pound prize money mark for the season. Quite a landmark, as their director and founder, Harry Herbert, has been telling me. Yeah, no, it's very exciting, Nick. Thanks. Yeah, we we um, we went past the million pound um, prize money barrier um, um, when believing um, uh, just got uh, touched off in the Firth of Clyde, and uh, you know, it really, really, it's sort of difficult to get to that seven-figure sum, um, helped by cachet, of course, but um, but some other really notable performances. So, so you know, I'm sort of thrilled to bits, and you know. For, for share owners and all the team who work so hard it's a it's a it's a it's a big number we've only done it twice before one once was um 2010 with harbinger um and i think there was 21 other year we we we, we, we just got there it's, it's um yeah it's a very big deal for us and, and and very exciting and hopefully more to come cash of course won the 1000 guineas this year it's amazing for, for a syndicate like yours to win a to win a classic i was curious really as the season goes on it's quite hard to it's quite hard to top that really does it does it does it put more pressure on you or does it take it off well initially it takes it off and then of course you're absolutely right the more you get into the season you think oh you know well that 
moment was so special and obviously totally unforgettable. But um, yeah, you're longing to 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 try and nail another group group race. Obviously, you know, group ones are very hard to come by. Um, but um, yeah, we've you know, we've got six um, horses this year that that are all knocking on the door of significant group races and believing, as I say, just nearly won the first of Clyde and good old Thunderous, who sadly didn't quite win yesterday, but, you know, he's so consistent and Lysander with William Haggis and Raw Patches down the States and Spycatcher, you know, there's a really nice group of horses and two-year-olds coming on who we hope will, um, you know, will might, might sort of reach those dizzy heights and real stalwarts who are heading up to that direction and the likes of Atrium, you know, three-time winner this year and Hebrides, the same, you know, who, who are really lovely improving horses. I know Australia's always held a very special place in, in your heart and, and the heart of your brother-in-law, John Warren, who, who buys a lot of the horses for you. You've got a, a project or two going there at the moment. Yeah, we, we've got about um, eight horses down there. We, we, we've had for some time sort of concentrated on proven horses, um, first and foremost, and sent them down there. And um, It's gone gone very, very well. Really exciting. We had a champion in Libran who who uh, was champion stare in New South Wales and won about two million Aussie dollars down there. Um, we've got two really good horses at the moment. Um, Great House, um, who's hurtling towards, um, possibly, you know, he's about seven or 800,000 in prize money earnings. Um, and he has to a group one, the Turnbull, next week. He's going really, really well with Chris Waller. And also with Chris Waller Durston, who David Simcock used to train here. Um, we had him with David and then we moved him on down. He did well with David, but he's really come good in Australia um, and, and winning in really impressively a group three race um, last week um, and um, he also you know could be um, could be on Melbourne Cup bound he's, he's got to go up the weights a bit to get into the Melbourne Cup but um, Great House would get in um, but Durston definitely also one to watch and and um, you know a couple of other nice improving youngsters as well younger horses so yeah Oz is, is great so you know after Covid and that I hope that we'll be able to wing on a plane and um, go down um, the first Tuesday in November and have a bit of a shout Good news and more immediately it was 12 months to the day that Cache finished a very good second in the Rockfelt we know what happened after that she came out and, and won the 1000 guineas what sort of aspirations do you have for Eximius this afternoon? Well, she's um, obviously chucking her in the deep end. She she's the most lovely filly, very beautiful filly um, by Exceed Excel. Um, um, so we want the race straight away, um, as we know Exceed Excel is definitely good or faster ground. Um, she she ran really well first time up, and then was most impressive at Salisbury. Um, and there was a bit of a twinkle in Roger's eye before that race. She worked very well coming into it. And um, what's exciting is how she's done since that race. Um, physically, she's just sort of come on significantly again, and her homework has reflected that. So, um, you know, she, she, it's a very, very hot rock fell, and it should be, Group 2 race. Um, but I love knowing, you know, where these sort of animals stand, and you've got a stable as in form as Rogers, um, and, and, you know, jockey in form, and you've got, hopefully, your ground. Um, I think it's sort of silly not to give it a, a, a role, especially with a filly bred like this, and um, you know, we'll uh, we'll see whether we've been tilting at windmills or whether um, you know she's the real deal. I pers- I think she is the real deal, um, but we'll know after three o'clock today. Harry Herbert there from Highclere Thoroughbred Racing. Over a million pounds in prize money this year for the syndicate. Damien Adams, executive chef from the Jockey Club, still with us, together with Rishi Passad and, and Neil Phillips. Uh, Damien, big weekend for you as as always. Um, how have you how have you enjoyed the year? How's the challenge been? 
Um, it has been challenging. Um, I think one of our biggest challenges has been labour, staffing. It's, it has been a challenge. Um, suppliers have also been a challenge. Um, but we have got through it. Um, the, the business has been good. It's been, you know, it's been steady. Um, it has, has well recovered after COVID. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's overhauled. overall, it's been good. Excellent. And just tell me a little bit about um, Newmarket as a place to be a chef and the, and the local produce and the, the provenance of your food and how important that is to you. Um, to be honest, I've been here now nearly 20 years. No way. Yes. Um, so for, for me, I, I honestly... But you're think- only about... 30. 30. <laughs> no, and, and, and a few more, yeah. <laughs> so... Um, so I, I mean, thought I thought being a chef was supposed to be tiring and stressful. I mean, you're not showing yeah. it. No, no, I d- no. Well, okay, thank you very much. Um, <laughs> Just take the compliment. Yeah, yeah. Um, but um, no, I honestly think it's one of the greatest places to work because you're never in one place. I mean, at Newmarket here, obviously, we have the two courses, so we get to move over for the summer, spend our summer season on the beautiful July course, um, and then the spring and the, and the autumn on the Rowley Mile. There's always something different going on. You're never looking at the same four walls. Uh, we have so many different types of food you know, um, going on. I mean, everything from the local powder sausages all the way to the fine dining. We have our own fish and chip shop on the July course, um, our own pizza out there i mean yeah we we, we pretty much cover it all uh, neil um do you enjoy working here as much as you do at other tracks oh very much so i think it's absolutely fantastic on the third floor here in the champions gallery restaurant looking down the roly mile single horses come down there we had some guests yesterday never been to Newmarket before they had an absolutely fantastic day and i think that's a part of the experience and it's just great to be at the home of flat racing but also it's great working with damien we've got some great hospitality experiences haven't we and when and with nothing to say come racing come today come tomorrow as well you know you can still book into the champions gallery restaurant you can be outside you can have the powder so you can go and get one of these wonderful napoli pizzas by the way which are absolutely brilliant mm. gotta say got a big big shout that's out for them rich is looking mid, like, mid, that's just a mid-afternoon snack for <laughs> yeah, yeah rich is looking very excited he's about to go from sticky toffee pudding to napoli pizza there but it's great to work a fantastic oh, no, team no. and i love i love the combination of having the two courses as well but i love the rolling mile and i'm lo- looking forward to today's racing got a great rock fill and tomorrow with the cambridgeshire yep everybody likes two courses here at Newmarket except Rishi who prefer five um, it's not just racing at Newmarket this weekend however racing also at the Curra where the feature race is the Goffs Million as you heard from uh, Henry Beebe yesterday that's a concept that's been revivified this year one horse with an excellent chance and certainly the best of the British looks to be Oviedo who was a very good third in the Acom Stakes the Tassels Acom Stakes at um York at the uh, Ebor Festival. I've been talking to Oviedo's trainer, Ed Bethel, and I asked him whether a reproduction of that run would do. I think so. Um, look, he's he, he's trained really well since the Acom. He was a bit unlucky uh, in that race as well. He he dropped, he, he was a bit too far back and then got trouble in running and then he sort of finished like a train and had he started a bit closer to, to the speed. Um, you know, Things might have been different. I'm not saying we would have beaten Chelsea, but I think we would have been an awful lot closer, uh, um, which would make his handicap mark probably a little bit uh, higher, which would put him on a par with Helsing. Um, he's, yeah, I, I think he's got a very good chance. He's got a good a chance as any, um, but as we all know, it's a 20-runner a race with um, everyone with chances and all pitching in to try and win half a million, which is fantastic. And of course, the race couldn't have worked out any better at York with the first and second going on to fill the same two spots in the in the champagne stakes and horses in behind 
coming out and, and running well. I remember the morning of the race at York. There was there was quite a, a word for your horse, uh, having been a huge price in the morning. Uh, is he is he a horse that's always shown you an enormous amount of talent? I think he is a very nice horse. Yes, um, he he worked in the books off, um, but uh, and then I, I, he just grew on me just as I was about to start uh, about to run him, uh, which meant it ruled him out of Asuka. Um and so we we took our time with him and we went to Doncaster and he, he duly obliged there and then we went to the Acom and then this has sort of always been the plan ever since. Um, you know, it's given him plenty of time between races. Um, he's over there now and he's as fresh as paint um, this morning. Um, and I'm uh, yeah, I I, I I do hold the horse in uh, in high regard and I hope he can fulfil what we we possibly might think he is. And if all goes well and you get the big the big prize uh, tomorrow, do you then try and look to to get him back into into a Group One? Are you, are you eyeing up maybe something like the Verton Futurity if all goes well? Yeah, so he's still in the uh, Dewhurst and he's and he's in the Verton Futurity. Um, they're definitely two races that I would look at, probably angling more towards the Verton Futurity. Um, he's also probably going to get an entry in the Grand Criterium at Song Clue, the Mile um, Group 1, on the same weekend as the Futurity Stakes. Um, and I'd imagine he'll... But look, if he if he if he does win the big pot, then we will be looking at those sort of those races. If he does, and then we'll have to we'll have to take a rain check and um, see how he is. But I I'm I'm hopeful that he uh, he should run a big race if the draw doesn't beat him, uh, being in draw two. Trainer Ed Bethel there. Rishi is still with me. Um, I think we've just about finished all the food now. Uh, actually, there's still a little bit of um, cucumber jelly left. <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm going back to the beginning, but there are 98 more portions of the sticky toffee pudding, so we're going to check the bookings in the Champions Gallery uh, and see where we stand with that. We might be able to take one or two away with us. All right, who's going to win this afternoon? I am going to give another chance to Muta Sabek. I know he disappointed last time. Jane Magan has forbidden me from ever tipping that horse again. <laughs> I was going to yesterday, and then I went for the stable companion. Valid reasons, I think. Valid reasons. Well, they're the blinkers. That, that's blinkers one. for the first time today. Blinkers today is one thing. But the other thing as well, I think it's a bit harsh to judge him by his performances at Goodwood. Uh, his two most disappointing runs I have you look through his career, have come at Goodwood. And he was also slightly below par when he was third at Epsom in the Diamond. So I'm prepared to suggest that those two courses don't suit him. He has won here at Newmarket and actually didn't run too badly behind Poetic Flair in the Guineas last year. And I think people are just a little bit too quick to give up on him. So Muta Sarbeck, another go today. One more go anyway, last go. Last chance saloon for Muta Sabek. Um, my thanks to Rishi, to Damien and to Neil and to all my guests today. Don't forget, if you do enjoy this podcast, please do tell your friends. And after you've done that, if you'd be kind enough to leave us a rating and a review on any of your favourite podcast platforms, we would be very appreciative. And don't forget that Charlotte will be back here from nine o'clock this evening with a Saturday edition previewing tomorrow's racing. And I will be back with you on Monday. But from all the team, from all of us, from Rishi and from me, bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.